0: As a kid, one of the television shows our family watched often together uh, was um, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And so, if you grew up in the '80s, I know that there are there are short films that predate uh, the series, the TV series back in the '80s. But uh, and it became kind of a franchise. And I know I've been to touristy towns and stuff, and they'll have a little Ripley's Believe It or Not museum, that kind of thing. Uh, but the, but the television show, it, it told these stories of of strange and bizarre people with weird abilities or or these strange stories and, and events and sightings and and these kind of illusions and and the and everything from stories of you know alien abductions to these weird little scientific phenomena that you know just just things that we 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 just kind of puzzle the mind. But the question was always asked, believe it or not? And and There's no shortage of of uh, bizarre claims today too. This wasn't. This didn't end in the '80s. Uh, it was it used to be. They used to be propagated through tabloids. Now uh, we have this wonderful internet and and social media that allows these strange stories to spread. And and most of what that's done for most people is it. It we become kind of cynical and and understandably and rightly so. We kind of dismiss the. The, the uh, these fabricated uh, stories and we're suspicious of those claims, though some really latch on to them and and uh, and lay hold of these things. But all these all these stories make it hard for us to believe that that supernatural uh, events actually do occur because we again we grow so cynical. We we see one such supernatural event in our text today, and it's not a UFO sighting, it's not crop circles. Um, but this is, this is incredible. There's something out of this world that's happening here. God's Holy Spirit is invading the hearts of men and women in this amazing way. That's what's going on in this passage that Taylor just read a moment ago. But, but this is what I want you to see. It's not just an incredible story of something that happened back then. That's not the only relevance where we just think, Oh, that's very fascinating. And move on. No, this passage, this scene, it confirms our own, think about this, it confirms our own supernatural relationship with God. God. We have a relationship with Him and He's given us His Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we just read about here being given to the church in Acts. We, we have the same Spirit to all who believe in Christ. And this is, it's crazy when you think about it. And so we're connected to this. We're connected to these people. We're connected to this same Holy Spirit. And so there is direct relevance to us as we look in this passage today. Well, Jesus, this doesn't just come out of nowhere. As we've, we've, we've been, we've gone through the Gospel of John over a couple of years, and we're we're just taking it into the first couple of chapters of Acts to see the fulfillment of many of the things that Jesus promised would come, particularly in that upper room discourse that Jesus gave in, in in John. And so Jesus said that all this would happen. The night before his crucifixion, the disciples are gathered together in that upper room with Jesus, and he's teaching his closest friends and followers. And one of the things he says is another helper will come. After my departure, another helper will come. John fourteen, verse sixteen, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And and at that time they, they had only seen the Spirit's power externally. They'd seen him in, in the teaching, the powerful teaching of Jesus, and the miracles of Christ. They have and they had been empowered themselves as Jesus sent them out to preach the, the gospel of the kingdom. But now but they they were about to experience him internally. He will be in you, Jesus says. And so during those those first forty days after Jesus' death and resurrection, he, he, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times, and, and and at the end of that period, just before his ascension, Jesus gives more detail about, about this promise. And, and and we see it in we saw this in Acts chapter one, verses five. And 8, we saw this a couple weeks ago, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And down in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, Jesus says, would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would, they would receive His power, and they and that would allow them to, and, and send them out to be Christ's witnesses to the world. So He told them that would happen. He didn't tell them exactly how, exactly when. He just says it's not going to be long from now. But so, so what I want us to do, we're gonna, we, get to, we, we just read this, but we're going to see the fulfillment of this. And I want to walk through this passage together. And as we do, I just want you to notice three. Uh, distinct features that 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 we'll come back to and emphasize at the end, and I'll come back and emphasize them with three words. But the three words are this: spirit, church, and nations. Spirit, church, and nations. And so, uh, as we walk through this passage, and then we'll come back, and that'll be more the outline. But we're going to spend a good bit of time just walking through this text together. So, verse one. Look there with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they they being that group of disciples that we talked about last week, about 120 men and women, all gathered. As it says they were all together in one place. So, so this large group of Jesus followers, they're still huddled together. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit, as Jesus told them to do. They're, as they're waiting, they're, they're united in fervent prayer. That's what they're devoting themselves to as they wait. So it's been, it's, it's been going on now for 10 days since Christ's ascension. Possibly they're in the same upper room. Every day, maybe they're moving from location to location just to kind of stay off the radar we, we don 't really know but but just even this is important, even this connects with what we've been what we we saw in the gospel of John. remember it's Jesus prayed for his disciples and prayed for us. He prayed that his, his people would be one back in john seventeen twenty Verse 21, 20 and twenty one I ask that they all that they may all be one, just as you Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me and so even here you've seen jesus 's prayer already being answered in part at least, so you have these believers coming together in unity not not uniformity they are, are different backgrounds, there are different abilities, different education uh, levels of training, different personalities, but they're one, despite these differences, united, text says in prayer. But they're not just gathered on any old day. This is not just some random Thursday. No. This is one of the three most important days of the year for the Jews. So one of this has been one of the one of the busiest days in Jerusalem for the whole year. Again, Jim was talking about th- this holiday season of Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. This is, this is one of their big holidays. This is when everything kind of stops. And, and you have all this, all, the traffic increases. And people are moving like we'll see this week. And, and so this is, this is like that. And, and we could compare it to Thanksgiving. This was the day of Pentecost. Also known uh, to the Jews as the Feast of Weeks. And so there were these three major annual feasts for the Jews. This one along with Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so all during these three major feasts, all the able-bodied Jewish males were, were supposed to come back to Jerusalem to, to, to participate in these feasts and make their offerings to the Lord and come back to the, to the city of Jerusalem. And so this feast, this feast is called Pentecost. That's what it came to be known as. And Pentecost means 50. It was it was the fiftieth day after the first Sunday of, of Passover, and so, so this, this is this is how God named it. It was one of the, the harvest feasts, and there were each of those three major feasts had aspects of this. But it was a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Here we have our, our wheat uh, decorations here. So that was not planned, but there I saw that as we we're singing. And so these worshipers were commanded to present this, this new, the, 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 this offering of new grain to the Lord during this Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. So, but, all right, that, that aside, here's the scene. This is what I think stood out, uh, one of the things that kind of uh, thought about a lot this week. You, you have this city of Jerusalem that's just buzzing with excitement. And it is, it, it, you have these devout Jews, the Texas from all over the place who, who, who have been streaming into the cities city for days, and the, and the population has, has swelled now uh, during this festival time, and so you have families enjoying meals together and, and, and reconnecting with uh, brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles who've come back to celebrate uh, this, this feast of weeks, and, and the people they haven't seen maybe for months, and, and, and then the temple, that's the focal point, and so all, all the people, the, the, the focus of the whole time and the celebration is the temple and as people go and offer make their offerings to the Lord of this of this new grain and so, so that's the, that's what everybody's doing that's all that's happening in the city and so that's going on and then what do we find? We have this group of a hundred plus disciples of Jesus, men and women who are strangely absent from all of those festivities and they're they're, they're they're, this is the first time in their whole lives that they've not been participating with the crowds in this, in this celebration. And they're absent. They're absent from the family celebrations because they're gathered together in this upper room. The people are people saying, where's Nicodemus? You know, I haven't seen him in, in, in months and I was hoping to catch up with him. Why isn't he at the meals? And somebody's left trying to uh, explain it. And they're, and they're not in the temple with the crowds. They're behind closed doors, away from the crowds, staying in the shadows. All the commotion, all the celebration outside. And in that upper room with the, the curtains drawn, there's, there's prayer and there's anticipation and waiting. So they're watching, they're waiting, just as Jesus commanded them. And it's on this day on, that God chose to send His Spirit and birth the church. And, and, and initiate this worldwide harvest of souls. So this is, this is the scene. And all, all the preparations have been, been made. Jesus has made the promise. This is the perfect day. Uh, and, and it's at hand. And God's people are enjoying the sweetness of fellowship together. And then it happens. It happens. The moment that we've been anticipating finally arrives. See it? We Read it a moment ago. Verse 2. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think it's pretty clear. They didn't have to wonder if it happened. (laughs) If the Spirit had come, nobody in the room was le- left asking, "Was that it? Is that all? Is he is he here now?" No, it was very obvious. I know we have been to like a Fourth of July. Our family would growing up, and so we go to the uh, up in Grand Lake in northeast Oklahoma, and we go out on the water and watch fireworks shows. And of course, on the Fourth of July, and there were, there are no laws up there about restrictions on fireworks, so it's big time up there. I mean, people buy spend a lot of money on fireworks, so. You're out there to see the big, you know, city show, but but inevitably people are shooting off their own personal fireworks. You're not really which, sure which way to look, and, and so you're seeing fireworks. Is that is that it? Is that is that the show? Is that all there is? And then boom, you know, it starts. You're like, no, that's definitely not it. This is not that scene. The disciples aren't trying to figure this out. No, there is. It is clear what's happened to them. There's this unmistakable, audible evidence. This, this sound of wind filling the house and notice it's sudden there's no warning there's no gradual build-up i think i hear something coming suddenly and it's supernatural it's from heaven this is clearly not some earthly man-made sound it's not some weird ringtone somebody has in the background or anything like that it was it was otherworldly it's clear this is from heaven and it's symbolic in, in, the Greek, uh, in the Greek and Hebrew languages. The, the words for wind and spirit are, are, the, are the same. And so, so you see this, uh, even John, the way John, Jesus talked in John 3. Jesus talked with Nicodemus about the need to be born, born again of the spirit. John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So the Holy Spirit, like the wind, is, is powerful. And if you can't see him, you, you can see his effects. And so there's this symbolism here. This wind, this is how the Spirit comes. He comes symbolically through this the sound of wind. Now it doesn't say that a mighty wind actually blew. It doesn't say they felt anything. There's no, it doesn't talk about debris flying around the room or anything. It's the sound of a mighty wind. And so it's, it's, it's audible. That's the thing that stands out. And, I don't, I can just, I have no idea what this sounded like. I just think of that deep, deafening roar of like a Boeing 747, you know, with full thrusters that take off, that kind of thing. That's just, I don't know, it was something like that, but it's just this, this loud sound. So there's audible evidence that, that clearly something that he's, he's come. There's visible evidence of so these tongues of fire that appear. and divided tongues as of fire, verse 3, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. So there are these fire-like manifestations resembling tongues settling on each person in the room. Now, I have no idea how to describe that and what that actually looked like other than what we have here. What, so if any artists want to attempt this, you know, have fun, uh, and what this could have possibly looked like. But... But this this fire again unmistakable, and you have in Scripture fire symbolizing God's holy presence. You have this with with, with Moses and the burning bush, and, and Israel and the, the pillar of fire guiding them through the wilderness. You have uh, this Mount Sinai and this this God's consuming fire. And so, and and John the Baptist he himself prophesied that that Jesus would come and would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So you have wind, you have fire and this fire manifests itself in the form of these tongues i think just symbolizing the power of god's spirit to to use the proclaimed word of god so you what a, what a scene all these audible visual uh, external sensory manifestations uh, making it absolutely clear to everyone that the spirit has come they knew it but then there's there's more there's this there's this oral evidence and they're speaking in tongues. When the flaming tongues rested on each person, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the disciples are not only baptized with the Spirit as Jesus promised they would be, but they're, they're also almost immediately filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And now, I don't want to linger here, but I, just bear with me. I, I think it's, we, we have to distinguish a little bit between these... These two terms, baptism in the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, because the Scripture makes distinction. And so, in, in Acts 1 5, one five again, Jesus promised his followers. This is really a repetition of a promise, but that they would be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. And 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 I think that's exactly what's happened here at Pentecost. I don't think anybody would argue that point. So baptism, it's that it just means to be immersed in. It's it's it, I think it has refers to that initial reception of the spirit and also that that identification that immersion identification with immersion in the holy spirit and so this this is that transitional period and so this is new this is when the spirit first comes but but after that this is something that god does for all people who believe in christ at the moment of conversion we're baptized with God's Spirit. You know, nowhere in the New Testament are believers commanded to be baptized with the Spirit or anything like that. It's not something it's not something we're to seek. It's something that God just does. When we trust in Christ, we're, we're, we're immersed in the Holy Spirit. We receive Him uh, and He dwells within us in that at that moment. Romans 8 and 9, Paul puts it this way. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Now what we see here, though, is those, those, those first believers who are baptized in the Spirit, then, then subsequently, they're filled with the Spirit. And, and, and there's, this is something that believers are commanded, to, uh, commanded with. Ephesians 5.18, I quoted this in prayer earlier, be filled, do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So unlike baptism, this is not a baptism, which is a one-time event, this is something that happens repeatedly the life of a believer and so you see this again if we were studying our whole through the whole book of acts you'd see this over and over and over again in acts 4 eight, peter's filled with the holy spirit and courageously uh, speaks to the rulers and those in authority and, and and later in that chapter verse 31 believers are filled with the spirit and speak god's word with boldness and stephen's full of the full of faith and of the holy spirit and he courageously stands up under the face of persecution and, and on and on and on there are these places where Christians are, are are there's this special feeling of the spirit that comes and gives courage and boldness and the gospel opens up and people go out. And so with all that said, let's get back to the text. We I want you to understand somewhat theologically what's what what this distinctive is, but I also don't want to slice and dice it up so much that we we miss the, the point. This is transitional. This is a unique time. We're just trying to understand it and see the connection. But but again, Spirit comes, you're baptized in the Spirit. As Christ promised, they're filled with the Spirit and begin speaking in tongues. Now, can you imagine the scene now? (laughs) Just think of being in that room. This isn't just a bunch of people, as we'll be very clear. They're not just speaking gibberish. These are not just kind of ecstatic utterances. This group of 120 or so disciples immediately starts speaking in other languages. Just think of their shock alone. I mean, just imagine if you started speaking, you you would probably have some awareness of, of that you were speaking another language, even if you don't know what you're saying. You can, uh, you're it's, this is just crazy. It's bizarre. You now, the scripture reading, uh, I think before the missions conference, Eric preached that Sunday, and he had several folks uh, read read the Great Commission in different languages. and 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 he sent me the video. It was very very neat to see that and to hear that. But imagine if if uh, um, Ron Newton stands up and starts quoting the Great Commission in Russian, perfectly. And and uh, Thomas, you, you you start spouting it off in Bosnian. Or uh, uh, Mimi Lee starts speaking in Wolof, And and we just say, and if you don't know these people and what their language abilities are, they don't know any of these languages, to my knowledge, anyway. Um, and so, so again, if, imagine just in an instant if they could speak, not not just kind of hack up the language, but speak with perfect vocabulary, perfect grammar, and, and even, even perfect dialect. There's no southern accent. It's just, it's, they get the dialect. Verse 8 makes that clear. They get it right. And that's, it's, that's what's happening here. So there's this deafening wind-like noise or these... These manifestations of tongues and fire that appear. Then there are these languages that are just instantly being spoken by people who have never studied these languages or, or learned them before. And so you have these, these rumblings these, of the Spirit in that upper room and it begins to spill out into the streets. And so all these thousands of pilgrims and those, those residents of Jerusalem, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on, this noise and this commotion and... And I mean you you're the same way. You hear a emergency vehicles go down the road, you think, Man, can I follow them? You know, I want to see what's going on. We wanna we always want to know what's what's happening, and this is kind of this is the scene. And so all these crowds are trying to figure out what that noise is about, and and as they're moving, kind of getting closer toward this house where the disciples are gathered, the, the disciples that are gathered in that room, they start streaming out of the house. And and they're speaking Speaking in all these languages, more languages than you'll hear at the UN. I mean, they're just—they're speaking in all these languages. Just 120 disciples, and and look at how Luke describes the city's response to this phenomenon. Verse five. Now they were now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So all these people, different nations, different cultures different dialects never before and in all their travels and particularly in all their pilgrimages to jerusalem for feasts have they ever heard languages so spoken so well outside of their native countries and they're just dumbfounded and you would be too i mean this is an understandable response they're they're bewildered my text says so this this confusion it it, it turns to amazement when they realize not just that these languages are being spoken but who's speaking them that these are galileans look at the text verse 7 and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all these who are speaking galileans how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language so these this isn't just saying wait that's they don't speak you know cretian that's not that's not their point they're saying how these backwoodsy, uh, uneducated Galileans—you kidding me? They, they can't even—they can't even get their own language right. They can't speak their own language without just completely butchering it. And here they are speaking perfectly all of these languages of the world flawlessly. They can't believe what they're hearing. Is this a dream? They're, they're, they were amazed at Texas, literally. The grammar would suggest they, they kept on being amazed, just continuously. They just couldn't get over it. They're just mouths and just shaking their heads and saying, what in the world is going on here? And so they, 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 they couldn't get over it. Then, then in, uh, Luke lists off these 13 different languages and, and people groups that were present that day, hearing their own native tongues spoken by these Galileans. And then verse 11, just skip down. He says, we, they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they're, they're amazed at what they're hearing, and they're curious about its meaning. They're, they get to the point and say, what, what's behind this? What's the meaning of all this? I've never seen anything like this. There, there must be something supernatural behind what's happening. Not just because these Galileans are speaking foreign languages, but, but also because they're speaking in public with great confidence and, and, and boldness. These, these Jesus followers, those that knew anything about the little Jesus movement, those particularly that were residents of Jerusalem and had seen all that happened with Christ, they, they, that these, these Jesus followers, they've been hiding and huddling together uh, in, the, in the dark like frightened mice ever since Christ was crucified. and. And risen again. Now they're lions roaring in the streets proclaiming the mighty works of God. Like, what, what happened? They recognize this. They say, What is the meaning of this? Where does this come from? But not everybody. And, and, and we're going to see this that, 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 that many in the crowd are perplexed. They're asking, What does this mean? And, and, and some of them are going to come to understand exactly what the, what the gospel means. They're going to believe. But not everyone. Many deny this miracle. They start making fun of those that are speaking in these languages. Verse thirteen. But others mocking said, "They're they're filled with new wine. They're just drunk." Now, how in the world do you think that alcohol is going to make somebody have the ability to speak in another language that they've never learned before and to do so flawlessly? I don't know how you make that connection. That's uh, it's illogical. But that isn't that unbelief. I mean the. The darkened mind um, will not be convinced even by signs or wonders of the things of God, His transforming power. But but right away, I mean, just this little side note that the, if again we're not working our way through the whole book of Acts, we're just going to be in here a couple more Sundays. Um, but as you see, the, the Acts doesn't just record conversions and success stories; it also gives us accounts of fierce opposition for the gospel. I mean, to death. And, and right here, on the, on the birthday of the church, there's mockery. And it's still true today. The church was attacked right out of the womb. The church will be maligned until Christ returns. This is, this is normal. We shouldn't be surprised by vocal, uh, even violent opposition to, um, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and its proclamation. All right. We walk through the passage, and I want us to back up, and I said there are three words that I want you to kind of watch for as we go through this passage, these three distinct features of this turning point in human history, and so spirit, church, nations, and, 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 I, and I, what I want to do is I want to show you this isn't just about uh, Jesus dotting some I's and crossing some T's here. This isn't kind of some fulfillment formalities where, yes, I said I oh, it's in the spirit, so there you go. Spirit came. This is how it happened. That's not, there's more going on here than that. This isn't just one more random but interesting scene in the book of Acts or in church history. This is a critical turning point in God's big story that he's writing in his mission. And, and, and the point of Pentecost is not to, not to put on a cool show for them or for us and make a statement. though the point of Pentecost is mission. That's what's happening. And the, and the goal of that mission is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, what, that's what's happening here. And I, so I want to expand on those three words and I want to do it in reverse order. So the first word, nations. Nations. God's mission is to be worshipped among the Nations. That's clear in this text. It's interesting that Luke uses so much ink to to, to to, go through this long list of nations and people groups in verses 9 to 11. He didn't just say there were people from all over the place. No, he, he lists these places off by name and people group and linguistic group, different geographical areas, different languages spoken. So just to to, to give you some idea... In, in terms of modern geography, this would be modern day Iran and Iraq and Turkey and and parts of Africa and Syria and Mediterranean Islands and and ends with Rome. And so all the the key is in verse five and, and this list it represents the text says men from every nation under heaven. All these representatives of the nations that the Lord wants to reach with the gospel. They're gathered in Jerusalem at the same time the Spirit comes, at the same time the church is born. The devout men, the text says, religious people, these Jews and God-fearing Gentile proselytes, and, and so they're, they're, they're in Jerusalem for this religious feast, and they have no idea, they have no clue that Jesus is their Messiah who's already come to make full atonement for their sin. They're, they're oblivious to that. Now, Peter, in just a few hours, is going to make that or minutes is going to make that crystal clear as he begins to open to, to preach about Jesus to this crowd that 's gathered. But what a picture all these people from all these nations it, I was reading it just reminds me of, of that list in, Genesis, in in Genesis ten and eleven You have these lists of people and they 're coming at that time they 're speaking one common language and and but this sadly, they're wanting to displace God, and they're building a city and a tower to to show it and what does God do? He judges them, and he confuses their languages and scatters those people uh, uh, across the globe and But here it's reversed by God's grace and his blessing he's he's turning this confusion of languages into this miracle of understanding and of speech, so they hear. Hear the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. And this is though this is what I want you to see. The Spirit's gift of, of tongues. The Spirit's work here. It's, it's given to see the gospel go to the nations. That's, that's what God's doing. That's, what's, that's exactly what happened. Just days earlier, Jesus commissioned them to be witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. To the ends of the earth. And that mission here is starting off with a bang. You have you have all these people that are gathered there, and then they're going to be sent out. The the last people Luke mentions in this in his list are visitors from Rome, and which was just about the ends of the earth, as they understood it. But but where does Acts? Where's the book of Acts end? If anybody remembers, it ends with Paul in Rome. When Paul goes to Rome, what does he find there? He finds believers. How did those believers get to Rome before Paul? We're not told, but it's very likely that some of them believed in Christ while they were in Jerusalem for this feast, and they went back proclaiming this gospel that they heard through through Peter. And so this one miraculous event enables the church to be launched in all these places where these men are returning to their homelands with this message on their lips. Not everybody, but many were converted and went back. And so one one thing this passage shows us, Shows is this God God's zeal to see his his the, his gospel go to the nations. His 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 plan is bigger than Israel. The, the the His good news is for all nations. You see this in Revelation five and seven when you have this vision that John gets of worshipers before God's throne, uh, and and they've and they've all been purchased for God with Christ's blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is, what, this is where God's story is headed. This is what's, what He's moving toward. Is it, so what does that mean for us? Is this local church in North Fayette County, Jonesboro, Georgia, well, a, it's a church right here. We cannot relax and slow down while there are nations and people groups and souls who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the good of their souls, yes, out of deep compassion, but also ultimately for the glory of God. The goal of God's plan, God's mission is his worship and glory among the nations. And that is the thing that is best for their souls because that's what they were made for. And so you, these, these spirit filled men and women, they're, they're going about proclaiming the mighty works of God in these languages. And Peter preaches the gospel later that day. And every So, and, and what we see though is that every soul added and there were 3,000 plus that one day alone every soul added was a worshiper added and God's well, this, this, this is again just one of those little scenes that reminds us of God's mission it doesn't terminate right here in, in Jonesboro, Georgia His mission is not to keep us comfortable until Christ returns and just kind of hang on his mission is to be worshipped among the nations as we go out, as Christ witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's his mission. And so we, we need to share that heart of God and to, to be globally minded. Second, church, nations. Second, church. Church. What is, what is the vehicle that God's going to use to, 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 in his mission to, to see that, again, his, his gospel goes out and witnesses go out around to the nation so that, that, that uh, idolaters can be turned into worshipers of him? What is he going to use? Does he give birth to um, uh, a book? This is, just follow this book. Does he give birth to an organization, uh, uh, some, some strategic a corporation or something like that? Does He give birth to a person and says, you know, just listen to Him and everything? He's... No, He gives birth to the church. The Church is the conduit through which God's mission of being worshipped among the nations will be accomplished. At Pentecost, He doesn't just send His Spirit, He births the church. And it's through this new body that He'll further His cause in the world and continues to do so. Because before, God's people consisted of Israel and, 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 and proselytes, Gentile proselytes to Judaism. And so it was through that nation exclusively that God was working to through His covenant promises to them to form a people for Himself, to bless the nations. And God's not done with, with Israel. But right now, in this time, the Lord has formed this, the body of Christ, the church, redeemed Jews and Gentiles. from, uh, and, and we're on equal footing. And, and Paul will later call this inclusion of the... Of the church, or the call, the creation of the church, the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church, he'll call it a mystery, not because it's strange, but because it's something that wasn't previously understood and revealed. But this new creation, the church, it's God's vehicle for taking the gospel to the nations. And this is again, this is why we give so much emphasis, and we need to continue to give emphasis. And Lord, how can you use even this local church? to facilitate both the sending and supporting and the caring of those to the ends of the earth, both national believers and, and missionaries being sent out. and we, We've got to give our focus to that. So our purpose is a local church. It's not, our purpose is not to focus on ourselves. It's not about our personal happiness and our comfort. It's not to provide a safe alternative for all these cute little kids. I mean, we, we do some of these things, we hope. It's not to give you something to do on Sundays because you would just be bored out of your mind if you didn't have a place to go. It's not, it's not to, to legislate morality and say this is exactly how you need to, what you need to decide and do and how you need to live in every aspect of life. No, the reason we exist is to speak the mighty works of God and, and to spread the message of Christ to all the nations. That said, it's so easy to lose focus, isn't it? So easy to be distracted by not bad things but lesser things and lose that perspective. We get so tied up in knots about music styles and paint colors and you know, the quality of youth events or something like that. That's a big problem. I want to talk with you about that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but we can forget the reason for our existence. This is, what, is the, what is the mission of this church? It's the mission of the church. And we've stated this way. We exist, as a Bible Church, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. That's got to be burned into our brains and seared into our, on our hearts and etched into every single thing we do. This is why we exist. This is what drives us. It's not to maintain a building it's not to, to, to to you know balance a budget and those are all important things. But why all any of that happens? It's because we 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 exist to join God in the power of the Spirit and sing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Disciples made, worshipers made. So the church is that conduit. Don't think that the best way. To, to move the mission forward is to kind of set the, push the church aside and we're better to just have a couple trailblazers that go out on their own or, or use this, this other organization. It's not a church. It's some kind of Christian organization. That's more efficient and more streamlined. No, the church is the vehicle. And, and we, need to, we need to remember that. Third, so nations, church, third, spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power given to the church for the fulfillment of God's mission to be worshipped among the nations. I know it's getting long. I'm just adding to it every time. But the Spirit is the power that's given to the church for the fulfillment of God's mission of being worshipped among the nations. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago when we started in Acts, came out of John, the very first verse in, uh, verses in Acts, we, we were reminded that Acts is not just it's not the, the Acts of the Apostles, it's not just the Acts of the Holy Spirit, it's the Acts of jesus christ It's what christ is continuing to do and speak through the church by the power of the holy spirit but but one of the things that shows everything that happens everything christ does and is doing is is by the spirit's power now it's not that the spirit just started being active at pentecost and He's just been kind of sitting on the bench, riding the pine and saying, put me in coach, man, I can't wait to get in the game and one of these days I'm going to be in and I'm going to be able to do something and so just watch the father and the son do their thing and then I'm going to get to participate. No, he's been active, he's been involved, he's been in the world, working, moving, he's, been, he's regenerated people, he's empowered people to for, for, for serving God, but he has never permanently indwelled people. And that's, that's the difference. And and so, so this, then on the day of Pentecost, those disciples are gathered together and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit indwells them. And, and every time the gospel goes to new places and new fields are opened up, their, their, the spirit is poured out again. And the text says they're baptized with the spirit. So that's all during this transitional time. So again, it just kind of following that, that outline in Acts 1, 8, you see this as the gospel goes to the Samaritans, they're, the Spirit comes and is poured out, and they're baptized in the Spirit. These new believers, and, and to the Gentiles in Acts ten, and to those followers of John's baptism who were still kind of lingering around in Ephesus in Acts nineteen. This is what we see. But but all of those advances, uh, those new fields, those new those transitions, and that happened in, in the Book of Acts, they all came as Spirit filled believers went out to speak the word with boldness. And and so so what I want us to see is that that the spirit is it's not just past tense he's, he worked you know he he's working he, he does many things for us and we don't have time to look at everything the spirit does but he certainly he sanctifies us and changes transforms us and grows fruit in us he helps us understand god's word and illuminates it he 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 helps us to pray he comforts us he's the paraclete the comforter he but the main reason christ sent the spirit as we see here in acts 2 is to is for the purpose of mission because this is the main reason God exists. He, he's, he's He's calling and He's calling among the nations, worshippers for Himself. So He sends the Spirit. The Spirit was given to the church so God's mission could be accomplished among the nations. And so what does that mean for us? Brothers and sisters, we we need to be filled with the Spirit so that we courageously bear witness to Christ. We need to be filled with God's Spirit so that we speak. His word with boldness. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that we stand up against opposition and under times of persecution. We need to be filled with God's Spirit so that new fields can be opened through us for the gospel's sake and advance. And not just we as individuals. Is how we, we tend to think through this lens. Like is me and the Spirit. No, but it's, it's it's we. It's us. It's God in your church. He'll fill us and, and, and come power and. Enable us and thrust us out, send us out, help us to be more aligned with what you're what you're doing in this world and, and more in tune with with the mission that you're on and the, the your your bigger purpose in the story that you're writing. Because we get so distracted. God, we need your spirit to, to clear the to, to clear the clouds, the fog away, so we can see rightly and be fully engaged in it. We need you to come, Lord. Power. Revive us, Lord. I mean this is this is how we, we ought to be thinking. So Three questions, and we'll sing and, and uh, together. first question, taking these three words: are you passionate to see the nations glorify God through the gospel? Is this a driving passion of your life? Are your eyes up, alert, open to see to see what the world as God sees it? or are you? you got blinders on and you're just focused on, kind of myopically on what's right in front of you in your immediate locale and situation. It's your heart full of compassion for the lost around the globe and those right across your dinner table on Thursday. Um, And and you don't have to, even to think globally, again, there's wonderful opportunities. Nations are here. It's like we have in a different way, but in similarly, the nations of, are here. They're in America. I've had an opportunity to reconnect with a dear friend who, who, who from from the nations this week, and and this is this is this is what we see. Second question: Are you committed to the church as God's conduit for a worldwide mission? Are you are you actively drawing into relationships within this local church for the sake of mission? That, that this is this is what God, this is the way the gospel will go for. Is we as we we become who the church is supposed to be? Are you filtering the air of of individualism and isolation that the culture is constantly pumping into that? Are you being more conformed to that than you are to what we see in Scripture of how we relate to one another in the church? Um, or have you given up on the church? Have you, have you kind of set it aside thinking there's a better way or we'll go parallel to the church? But is the ch- are you, do you see the church as the only conduit? Third, are you consciously dependent upon the Holy Spirit to see God's cause advance in the world? Are you yielding yourself fully to the Lord and depending upon Him, step by step, walking by the Spirit? Are you begging the Spirit to open up doors for the gospel and to give boldness to the church as, as we proclaim that gospel? Are you, are you aware that anything that's going to happen is going to happen by the Spirit as we proclaim this gospel message of the rescuer has come? I'm going to go and ask the team to go on, come on up and to uh, get ready to sing. And and once they they come up, I, I, we'll, we'll stand in just a moment. And I want to read a, a prayer of confession that will um, that gives voice to to I think how we should be praying for the Spirit's work in us even today, based upon this passage. This is from a Presbyterian liturgy, but I think it's something that would speak to us today. So uh, go ahead and stand with me, and the words will be on the screen. Just listen as I. Read this prayer, and then we'll we'll sing to the Lord together. Okay, Almighty God, you poured your Spirit upon gathered disciples, creating bold tongues, open ears, and a new community of faith. We confess that we hold back the force of your Spirit among us. We do not listen to listen. For your word of grace, speak the good news of your love, or live as people made one in Christ. Have mercy on us, O God. Transform our timid lives by the power of your Spirit, and fill us with a flaming desire to be your faithful people, doing your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord.